This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. So here we are. It's week two of Outcast. And so excited to share a message with you today. Pastor Bill kicked off our series last weekend uh, talking about searching. Uh, talked about, shared the three parables of searching and, and what an incredible picture of us, of, of the link that Jesus goes to to search for us. Uh, it was great. If you haven't heard it, check out the podcast last week's message. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but, but Bill preached Sunday morning. And then that afternoon at 4.30, uh, the Steelers played football and you know, so you say Browns fans, just grin and bear it for a minute. Here we go. Um, but in, in, as part of the game, you know, um, the, the, uh, the Steelers were playing the Bengals. And, uh, and, and first half, there was this play that happened um, that, uh, now, you can't go too far, Jennifer. I know you're a Bengals fan, but she's heading right out of here. Hey, guess what? I know I'm picking her out because she really is a Bengals fan. Um, Keetwan's in the house, I hear. He's back. Wave at me. Where is he? Somebody told me Keetwan's in the house. We're so glad. God is doing great things in his life and healing and, and awesomeness. And he's not raising his hand, but put your hands together. God's doing a miracle in his life. So glad to see you. Glad you're here. Um, so, so just last week, uh, so there's this play that happens in the game. And, and there's a touchdown that's thrown to one of the Pittsburgh wide receivers. Now, it, his name is Juju, and he is the youngest player in the NFL right now. He's only 20 years old, you know. Um, he doesn't even have a driver's license. I mean, he could get one, but he doesn't have a driver's license. He rides a bike to work every day, you know. Uh, and so he's just a kid. And so the players talk about how, how crazy it is because he's like the, the ultimate millennial, you know. Like he, he doesn't drive a car, and he rides a bike to work, and he makes millions of dollars. And, you know, and here he is, the youngest kid in the NFL. And so he scores a touchdown. And everybody's waiting to see what he'd do because the NFL has legalized touchdown celebrations, right? Everybody's happy about that. And so, so he gets in the end zone, and this is what he does. He doesn't do a dance. He doesn't do something vulgar or whatever. He, he, drops, he drops down and covers his eyes, and he counts to five, and he looks up, and he starts playing hide-and-seek. And it's worth the Google to check it out because it's, it's, it, it went viral because everybody was like, man, this kid is just... It, he's being a kid playing hide-and-seek in the end zone when he just started a touchdown and 65,000 fans are screaming and going crazy. And it was this incredible picture of, of uh, somebody at the, at the pinnacle of his career, you know, or I'm going to say still on his way up, right? He's not quite there. And, and yet acting just like a child. And there's this incredible picture there of, of how we are to come to Jesus as a child. You know, as a matter of fact, I believe that inside each and every one of us is a childlike desire to be found. You know, whether, whether it is to be found by a spouse that's going to love you forever, 
being found and adopted as part of a family, being, being found as a, in the body of Christ and belonging to a local church, and of course being found by your creator God. Every person here longs to be found. It's this desire that we all have. And so today I want to talk to you about finding for a few moments. There's another story in the scripture. It's recorded in Luke chapter 19. As we're looking at several uh, stories over the next few weeks about the friends of Jesus this young man's name was Zacchaeus, and if you grew up in church, you know him as the wee little man because you sang that song. And so Zacchaeus uh, was short in stature, um, but yet God used him in an incredible way. And I believe there's some things that we can learn from his story today. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus said this. He says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich he said that for a reason Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd for he was small in stature a wee little man so he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, these are the religious people, the people in the crowd began to say, he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die for us, that we might have eternal life and have freedom in you. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit resides inside of us as believers who guides us and directs us into truth and to understanding. We just ask now that your Holy Spirit would just soften our hearts, that our heart would be uh, prepared like good soil, that your word would fall in it like seed that is planted and it would bear forth much fruit in our lives. Today, God, I thank you that our ears are open, our mind is awake, that we're in tune to what you have for us today. So speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, we talked about just three or four weeks ago in our series on family and it says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul is talking to the churches of Ephesus, and he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Be imitators of God. You know, Jesus was the perfect reflection of his Father God. He was perfect in all of his ways. And we are to be imitators of him. I believe with all of my heart that the life that Jesus lived here on earth was an example for us to all live by. That Jesus didn't do things on earth just simply as God because he had all the power to do them. But he walked on earth as fully God yet fully man to be an example for us. Time and time again, he said, follow me. Time and time again, he said, do as I do when he was baptized and things that happened all throughout his life. And so today I want us to look at the story of Zacchaeus. We may have looked at it through a certain lens, but today I want us to look at it through a lens of this and of saying, how can we, like Jesus, reach people who are lost? The sermon series is called Outcasts. It's about going after the one that is outside of our realm of influence, outside of our sphere, outside of the church, whatever that might be. 
So how can we today look at the life of Jesus in this story and pursue the people in society who are outcasts like Zacchaeus? You see, Zacchaeus was a, was a tax collector. Uh, the Bible says in Luke right here, 19, that he was a chief tax collector. Now, everybody knows, don't nobody like taxes. I mean, we don't like taxes today, and they didn't like taxes back then. It's the same, same, right? And sometimes uh, uh, the, the, the messenger is guilty by association. Do you know what I mean? People didn't like Zacchaeus because of his occupation. He wasn't making the rules. He was just enforcing them, you know? Uh, it was kind of like a, a few years ago when I was a youth pastor, uh, I needed a little extra side income, you know? We should all have a little side hustle. Uh, and, and we'll save that for a, for a kingdom economics teaching sometime. But listen, you should have multiple streams of income. Uh, it's, it's, it's wise. And, and so I needed a little side hustle. So it was, uh, it was 2010, and uh, there was this thing they do every 10 years called the census. And so I thought it would be a great idea because someone told me that it would be a great idea. Uh, to get a little side hustle job and, and be a census worker in the United States government census. And so I walked into a room uh, that, that they told me to go to when I went on the website and to take a test to see if I was eligible to apply for the position. So before you could even apply for the position, they, they had to see if you were eligible for the position. So they gave me a test and it was like it was like 60 some questions, I remember. And uh, they were questions literally like like which way is north and south and east and west and they would give you a map with a street name and street numbers and they would say like what is the street address of the third house on the left i mean it was pretty basic stuff all right i mean it wasn't too hard and i remember sitting in that room and they and then they told me much to my surprise that um in order to qualify for the job that i needed to make a 51 percent on the test Listen, this is a true story. I am not fabricating any of this, okay? Trust me. You sign up to be a census worker in 2020 and come back and tell me. Um, true story. And I remember thinking, wow, I think, I think there's going to be some interesting people that I'm going to be working with. You know, I mean, 51%. I mean, I'm talking about basic, like, second and third grade stuff, right? Um, what I didn't realize is that, is that I didn't realize that they were going to be sending me to the people that didn't turn in their census. And it never dawned on me that the people that didn't turn in their census were the people that didn't want to turn in their census. I know it seems basic, but look, I was just looking for a little extra cash, right? And, and, so, and so I thought, well, yeah, I can talk to people and collect some paperwork, you know. But these weren't people that forgot their paperwork. These are people that burned their paperwork, you know? <laughs> and so many of these people were people who, who uh, uh, we'll just say, had an opinion that their, the census was a conspiracy to collect data and to somehow implant like microchips in people's skin and put cameras all over their house and stuff. I mean, these were the kind of people that I was knocking on their doors. And I also quickly have found out that, that because I had a little government id on that they immediately associated me personally as one who was going to implant them with microchips and like hang cameras and the thing and so the 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 language that was used to express their opinion of not wanting to fill out the paperwork and the gestures and the um the pets that they let loose 
to, to go get me and things was something that I really didn't expect. Because in their mind, I was guilty by association. I might as well be the revenue man. That's, I guess that's what I was, right? And so I feel like I can relate to Zacchaeus just a little bit in the sense that, you know, when Zacchaeus walked down the street, everybody kind of ducked and hide, right? They were like, listen, that guy's just not the tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And what you need to understand, too, is that it's not like today where we're taxed by our government, but the Jews were living under occupation. So they were being taxed. In, their, in, in the church, in the temple, there was a tax system that was in place. And then they were being taxed by the Romans. So the Jews didn't want to pay any tax to the Romans because they were being double taxed. So they really hated him. But it wasn't that the Romans were coming in and demanding tax. The Romans were getting Jewish people to work for them to collect the Roman tax. And so these people were traitors. They, they weren't just revenue people, but they, were, they were, were traders working for the other side, collecting money. And of course, they were skimming off the top. And then, so the tax collectors would skim off the top, and they would bring it to the chief tax collector of the town. So more than likely, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector of Jericho and that entire region. And so then Zacchaeus would take his cut from it. The scripture goes out of the way to point that he was a rich man. You see, he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I mean, he was somebody that you didn't want to be associated with at all. I meant to say scoundrel. <laughs> Y'all corrected me. Let me give you the mic and come up here and talk for 40 minutes. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. He, 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 was, a, he was a flat-out trader. He was, he was like LeBron James when LeBron left for the first time to go to Miami and left Cleveland. You know, do this like TV decision and then all of a sudden leave everybody and, you know, you have people burning their just jersey in the streets and all of that and they hate him because he, he's a traitor, right? He, he turned his back on the city and all these things and left. And then, and then he came back and everybody was happy and they hugged him. But well, what's you going to do next year? That's the question. Anyways, Zacchaeus was a traitor. He was somebody that was, that, was, that was the worst of the worst. And I want to ask you today, beyond your favorite sports person that is left, what, who in your mind is the worst person that you can imagine? The person that you think the least of, that you think they're not worthy of anything. They shouldn't be allowed to speak. They shouldn't be seen in public. Uh, we don't want anything to do with this person. Uh, we're not supposed to say it, but you know what? We just wish that person wasn't around or here or alive. Listen, there are people in your world that you think that of. They're the outcasts. They're the least of these. They're the ones that nobody wants to associate with. You know, for an example, there's a story just, just last weekend of a young man who went to a protest. And if I could think of anybody that was the least of these, it would be, it would be someone like this. Someone who, who has a message of just hate. Someone who is not trying to in any way accept people or love people, but someone who is specifically trying to stir up problems. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But if I could think of a list of people that were the least of these, these kind of people would be on there. And yet last week, something really interesting happened. I want to read to you a story uh, of a young man just last week in, in Florida there was a rally, a white supremacist rally, and so several thousand people came to protest, and, 
and lots of things happened at the protest as can happen. But you see, there was a man, this man right here, wearing a t-shirt emblazoned with swastikas on Thursday. He was surrounded by a crowd of protesters who screamed, punched, and spat on him. Go ahead and roll the tape. This man walked into an anti-fascist rally and was treated as you could probably expect him to be treated. Some in the crowd attacked him, punched him, as I said, even spat on him. But then there was a young man named Aaron Corden. And this young man did something that nobody expected. He walked up to him and gave him a hug. He gave him a hug in the middle of a rally where people are spitting on this man and, and, and punching him. And we could say, rightfully so. I mean, why else would this man be walking through the crowd of protesters, right? I mean, at least in America, we, we get this place where the protesters stand here and the other people stand here. And there's, you know, a safe space in between. This man was intentionally walking through the crowd of protesters wearing this shirt. And this young man named Aaron Courtney went out of his way. This is what he said. He said, I could have hit him. I could have hurt him. But something in me said, you know what? He just needs love. Listen to this. I want to read you the story. It says, Courtney, a 31-year-old high school football coach from Gainesville said, it's a step in the right direction. One hug can really change the world. It's really that simple. And these are his words. He said, I had the opportunity to talk to someone who hates my guts and wanted to know why. During our conversation, I asked him, why do you hate me? What is it about me? Is it my skin color, my history, my dreadlocks? After beating around the bush and avoiding my questions, I asked him and I pleaded with him. I almost broke out into tears, he said. I'm growing increasingly angry because I couldn't understand. And then Courtney said this, citing the teachings of his father, who's a bishop. Courtney told the Daily News, something in me said, you know what? He just needs love. Maybe he never met an African-American like this. So he told the Nazi to give him a hug. And despite some initial resistance, Courtney said, I reached over. And the third time, he wrapped his arms around me. And then I heard God whisper in my ear, you changed his life. When, when I saw this video, many of you have probably seen it on Facebook or, or, or wherever, I saw that and I thought, I don't know if this man's a Christian. Um, now, we edited the video because there was a little bit of language coming in here. And yet I thought, well, this, this, there's a little bit of language in his, um, in his attitude to even towards this man. And yet I thought, I don't know the last time I saw a greater display of the love of Christ. He asked him, he asked him this, why do you hate me? And the man finally answered by saying this, I don't know. And Anthony Courtney said, I believe this was his sincere answer that he really doesn't know. I want to challenge us today. Listen, I'm not here to say that in a protest, we need to hug everybody. I think it's a wonderful example of Jesus, but I'm not here. Listen to me. I'm not here to say this is the way we need to respond to everything. Okay. What I'm here to say is this. A young man named Anthony Courtney, who was a high school football coach in Florida, heard the voice of God say, this man needs love. And he responded to this man, demonstrated love. And the Holy Spirit told him it changed his, this changed that man's life. I'll ask you something today. If we are supposed to reach the outcast in our life, we must be people who listen to God and who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We must look at Jesus and allow, allow his example to be one that we begin to follow. We have to. 
Anthony Courtney has even taken ridicule in his own community because of the way he, the way he approached this. And yet I'm here to say he was listening to his father God. And that's the important thing. That's the key. Is that we have to be willing to step out beyond our comfort zones, beyond our cultural barriers, beyond what is accepted normally and say, God, whatever it takes to reach this outcast, I'm going to do. Can we be people like that? And what does it look like? I believe that Jesus laid out a clear example to us in, in Luke chapter 19. And so we're going to pick it up here. It's an incredible story. I, I, I love it. We see five things I believe that Jesus did that, that called out Zacchaeus, called out the outcast and brought him into right relationship. And the number one thing that Jesus did was this is he, he calls him by name. Think about it. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his name. He didn't call him, hey, sinner. Hey, hey, you. Hey, dude in the tree. <laughs> you know, he says, he says, Zacchaeus. This is incredibly significant for us because of, of, of many reasons. But, but it's what Jesus did. It's the, it's the path that he chose to do. He called him out by his name. And here's why it is significant. You see, the name Zacchaeus means righteous one. Think about it. Nothing in Zacchaeus' life is righteous. None of his actions are good. There is nothing that he is doing that is displaying the righteousness that his name is. And yet Jesus looks out at a dirty, rotten sinner, the least of the least, the one that is cheating the poor, robbing from the poor, keeping them in, stuck in their poverty. And Jesus looks out at him and he calls him righteous. Listen, there's power in this. Jesus is looking out at a man and he's calling out his destiny. And he's saying, listen, I know there is nothing in your life that is reflecting righteousness at the moment. But I'm here to tell you who you are. I'm reminding you of your purpose. I'm reminding you of your calling. I'm reminding you of who God created you to be. And you are a righteous son and daughter of Christ. And that's who I'm going to call you. Unfortunately, we as a church often call people by their actions. Listen, we, we, we put them in categories and we put them in places because of the way they live or because of their lifestyle or because of, of the sin that is in their life, because of the choices and decisions that they make. And we categorize people because we say that's who they are. We put an identity on them and we align ourselves with the identity that the, that the enemy has given them, that Satan has given them, rather than the identity that God made them with. And so God creates every individual with a purpose and a plan, and he calls them righteous. And yet we can often categorize people in a way that is not the way that God sees them. So we as a people, it's getting really quiet in here. We as a people have got to come to a place where we look at sinners, where we look at people that we don't understand, where we look at people the furthest away from God, and we begin to call them righteous ones because it's who they are. Their, 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 their attitude and their... All of the things that they're doing may not line up with it, but it's who God created them to be. And so what you begin to do when you become to, begin to call sinners righteous, once you begin to prophesy over them. And you begin to say, you know what? I know it doesn't look like it right now, but I see your future. I see what is inside of you. I see what God has for you. I see, I see you coming into the kingdom. And so I'm going to begin to declare these things. And, and what you begin to do is instead of putting people alone in a category and ostracizing them, listen, you begin to pull people up to the place that God created them to be. You begin to call people forth into their destiny. 
And that's what we're called to do as believers. Call people out as who they are. Call them by their name. He's prophesying over them. It's an incredible picture and something that we can't miss. Something as simple as calling them by their name. Listen, if you're, if you're in sales, you know the importance of calling someone by their name. Remembering their name, it makes an impression. So in the natural, it's significant. In the natural, you're placing value on someone. When, I don't need to tell that story. All right, I will. So, you know, listen, I've had lots of jobs. I grew up on a farm, and then, and then my first real job, I was an inner-city youth pastor for seven years. I mean, I went from one extreme to, to the other as far as culture and, and, and life and everything. So I've done a whole lot of things, okay? Um, so, so for a while, I drove a bus. And when I would drive a bus, I, kids would have problems, behavior problems. And so those were always the bus drivers that seemed to get sick and miss work, and the ones that me as a substitute ended up driving, right? Those, the trouble ones, yeah? And so I would drive these buses, and I never had problems. I mean, listen, I had problems. You know, you've heard about those. You, you always have instances, but I didn't have regular ongoing issues. And, and people, and they would ask me, a supervisor pulled in and said, what did you do? How do you get these kids to behave because nobody's getting them to behave? And I said, I honor them. It's the first time they get on the bus, I ask them their name. And when I speak to them, I call them by name. And if I don't remember it, I'm going to ask them their name and I'm going to call them by name because it's showing them honor. It's placing value on them. I care enough to call them by their name. And so because of that, I received honor. Because I showed honor, I received honor. And so Jesus is saying this to Zacchaeus. He's saying, listen, I'm not just going to call you whoever, but I'm going to call you by your name. He was intentional about it. You know, and I look at this and I wonder, how in the world did Jesus know his name? There's really three ways that I can think of. Number one was, he, he may have known Zacchaeus' reputation. He may have known who he was because he's the lead chief tax collector in Jericho. The truth is, is that is more than likely not the case because Jesus wasn't from that area. He wouldn't have known. He wouldn't have known the, the bad guy in a town. You, just like you don't know the, the, the drug dealer in a town, you know, a few miles from here. You better, you better not. <laughs> you know, and, and so Jesus more than likely would not have known that way. The second possibility is that it was a word of knowledge. This is a very, very uh, acceptable, you know, explanation of this. It very well could have been. Jesus could have received a word of knowledge and known Zacchaeus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And it's the same power that we can walk in. Now, I've never got a word of knowledge over somebody's name. That's, that's a different level, y'all, you know. Um, but people do it. Absolutely. God does it. He, he does it. And we, can, and we can be there. And if, and if anybody could do it, Jesus could do it, right? But there's also a third possibility that I believe might be more likely is this, is that Jesus was in the area and he was paying attention. And sometimes we make an excuse to say, well, we, we don't remember people's names for whatever reason. But listen, Jesus was paying attention. This is what I believe. Two chapters earlier, Jesus tells the parable a story. And there are several theologians that believe that Jesus, when he told the story, the parable of, of the tax collector and the Pharisee, that he was actually sharing the story of Zacchaeus walking into the temple a few days before. That Jesus was there and he was paying attention that he saw this tax collector, Zacchaeus, walk into the temple. And maybe he asked what his name was. Maybe he overheard what his name was. But I believe Jesus was intentional to find out what his name was. If you want to reach people, your neighbor, in your community, you better know their name. You better find out what your name is. Be intentional. Pay attention. Find out somebody's name. Because calling people by their name shows value and it shows that you care. And yes, it takes a little bit of homework and, and you gotta, you gotta get there, but be intentional about it. A soul is worth it. Call people by their name. It's why we do name tag Sunday 
Listen, I got it right here. I didn't want it for camera, but I'll have it for afterwards. That's why we do name tag Sunday a few times a year. Why? Because we need to learn each other's names. Because there's something insignificant about calling someone by their name. So Jesus did it. He, he called Zacchaeus by his name. Number two is he did this. He looks with compassion. Check this out in, in verse 5 in Luke chapter 19. He says this. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now, why did he look up? Well, because Zacchaeus was in a tree. Okay. Now, understand that, that Zacchaeus was in a tree. This was odd. There's a truth here is that Zacchaeus wanted to be found. And we have to remember that no matter how hard someone pushes you away, no matter how hard someone says, I don't believe in God and I don't want to do anything, we are all created with inside of us a desire to be in relationship with God the Father. And Zacchaeus wanted to be found. You see, the scripture tells us that he ran ahead of the crowd. Okay, let me tell you something. Grown men don't run. And they didn't run back then either, okay? Grown men didn't run back then, especially someone in his place in the community. He didn't run. I mean, they wore the skirt things back then, okay? So to run, he had to hike up his skirt and run. And they didn't do that. And so Zacchaeus did. But why? Because he was wanting to be found. The other thing he did was he climbed a tree. Again, something grown men didn't do. Now, listen, in, in public gatherings, you would have people that would climb trees to be able to see. So it wasn't all that common. I've been in, in nations before in large gatherings where people climb trees to see, to be able to hear things. It happened frequently. But no one of his place in society would ever do that. Because they would be standing at the front. They would have a place of honor. They would have a place where, where, a, place where a rich man would stand. You see, Zacchaeus wanted to be found. And I'm here to tell you that no matter who it is in your life that doesn't want to hear the name of Jesus, they want to know. There's a longing, there's a desire in them that they say they want to be in relationship with God the Father. So Jesus walks up to him and he looks up because he's in a tree. And the scripture says that he looked at him and then he called him by the name. Jesus looks with compassion. Here's the truth. One look from Jesus said everything that needed to be said. Scripture tells us in several places it's recorded and in, I'm going to do this right here, in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36, Jesus looked out with compassion at the sheep, at the lost, and he said these people look like sheep without a shepherd, but he looked with compassion. I want to ask you today, what must that have looked like? What does the look of Jesus say? You know, they say a picture is a thousand words. But how many of you know, when you get a text message, you can respond with a, with a picture of an image of a look. And you don't need to say anything else. You can send a picture of somebody rolling their eyes, and you don't need to say a word. You can ask someone a question, and they roll their eyes, and it's, everything's been said. You can respond in a million different ways with just a look. And yet Jesus looked upon the sinner, and in that moment, I believe that nothing even needed to be said. Because in a moment, in a look from Jesus, when Jesus then posed the question, when he said, do I want to go to your house? Their automatic response was yes. How many of you know you're, 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 the way you look at people sets the tone of the conversation? Yep. Come on, wives, help me out. If I've heard this once before, I've, I've heard it a few times, that the way, the way that I look in a conversation with my wife, I, I'm saying, I'm sorry, but my face ain't saying I'm sorry. 
You know what I'm saying? You've been there. You've been there. You're talking to your kids, and they're rolling around, and they're rolling around on the couch, and they're like, oh, I hear you. I'm sorry. But their face ain't saying nothing like that. You see, your face will set the tone of the conversation. It sets the tone for the meal. It sets the tone for that first date, you know, when you sit down and on that blind date. Come on. I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. You know, you sit down on a blind date. One look says it all, right? I mean, like, hey, we, we, we could just let's, just, let's just go home. Yeah. I mean, you know, one look. So uh, your look says everything. And Jesus looked with compassion over and over again. Imagine what it must have been to look in the eyes of Jesus, to look in those compassionate eyes. And it changed everything in a moment. So when we talk to people, when we're talking to the outcast, our expressions shouldn't say, you kind of smell no our expressions can't say you you look kind of dirty our expressions can't say i really don't want to be here our expressions can't say i i i'm really uncomfortable we need to look like jesus did look with compassion you know there's a big difference even in looking at someone with sympathy and compassion jesus knew how to do it he wasn't just sympathetic, but he was compassionate. How can we look at people the way that Jesus looked at them with compassion? The third thing is this, is it erases every barrier. Jesus erased every single barrier when he said to Zacchaeus, I'm going to dine at your house. You see, what he was doing is he was calling Zacchaeus into relationship. Imagine this. He was saying, listen, I know I'm the good teacher and I know you're a sinner. But what I'm saying right now is we're going to eat dinner tonight. He erased every barrier that was in between them, every socioeconomic barrier, every cultural barrier. He did it time and time again with the woman at the well, with the people that he met, that he surrounded himself with. Jesus broke down barriers. And so many times in the church, we look at people and you're saying, well, if they could just act a little bit more like me, then we could hang out. And we're waiting on the world to overcome the barrier and to come in the church when Jesus has called us as the church to break down those barriers. There's a really important truth here that, that, that we have to get. You see, Jesus didn't keep him at arm's length. Dining at his house wasn't keeping him at his arm's length. It was, it was saying, let's break bread together. Let's have covenant together. Let's share relationship together. It was a significant step. You, you couldn't get much more uh, deep in a relationship other than having dinner with somebody. There was a covenant. There was an agreement that was being made in this. But I want you to notice something. That Jesus looked up to him and he invited him into relationship before Zacchaeus repented. This is, this is really important because Jesus said to him in verse 5 that I want to stay at your house. Zacchaeus in verse 6 hurriedly jumped down from the tree, okay? So it wasn't just his words, it was his look that, that invited him in. And it says he received him gladly. The, the, the Greeks there, there is rejoices. He rejoiced, he threw a party because he was hanging out with Jesus. So Jesus says this, and it wasn't until the next verse that Zacchaeus repented. So here's the truth, is that we have to be willing to make relationships with people before they've repented. And we don't like to do that because we might get dirty. Or we might be called a friend of sinners. Heaven forbid they call us something that they call Jesus. 
you know, we might be guilty of having an appearance of evil, so I sure can't go there or do that. And yet what we understand is that the greater truth is what Jesus had in mind. Jesus was thinking, I came to seek and save the lost. If some of you people over here want to accuse me of being a friend of sinners, so be it. So be it because I'm willing to build relationship before there's repentance. Because you see, when we try to bring people into repentance before there's relationship, it leads to rebellion. And so, and so with, without repentance, when you, when, when you try to bring people under the law without relationship, rather, without relationship, when you try to make people follow rules, it, it's just rebellion. There's no relationship. And so there, it's rebellion that's run rampant. And why do we see so many young people walk away from the Lord? Is because there's a list of rules that they have to follow, but the relationship is not there. They've not cultivated a relationship with God the Father. They've often not cultivated a relationship with people in the church. And so they rebel and they run away from God because we're trying to bring them into repentance. But yet it's relationship first that brings people to repentance. There's this incredible picture that Jesus says, let me have relationship with you. And then what happens? relationship happens and then repentance follows and there's this beautiful picture of what happens next he he tears down every barrier he erases every barrier and then this happens he's accepted into the family when he comes into relationship what happens Zacchaeus then says I realize the error of my ways and what does he do he says he gives half of what he has to the poor and then everyone that he has wronged he pays him back everything plus 20 percent like 1.2 times what he did no wait he didn't do that because that was the law you see what it says Zacchaeus did is he paid back four times everything that he had stolen so when he gets accepted back into the family, listen, he's not accepted back into the family because he begins to follow the rules. He's accepted back in the family because he repents. And then his actions, because he's repented, his actions follow. And he says, half of what I have to the poor and four times of what I've stolen back to individuals. You see, the law, if Jesus would have led with the law, the law says that you have to pay back one, everything that you have plus 20%. So you have to pay 1.2 times back. So if he stole $100 for somebody, he had to pay them back $120. That was restitution. That was according to the law. And what happens when God really gets a hold of your heart? Generosity. He goes from not just meeting the law, but he goes way far surpassing it. And he said, I'm going to give away four times what I stole from anybody. It's not holding someone to the law, but it's inviting them into relationship. And it leads to genuine repentance. You see, repentance is changing the way we think, but then it changes our actions. It changes everything from here on out. And it's what we see in Zacchaeus' life. His entire life has changed. His actions have changed. His, his attitude changes. Everything all of a sudden becomes different. And then this is what happens. At the very end of the story, Jesus nullifies every single accusation. Remember the religious people, the people that were gathered around were saying to him, they began to grumble. Imagine that, people grumbling. They began to grumble and say in verse 7, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. You see, when we really truly begin to love people like Jesus loved people, other people will talk. Other people will grumble. 
But here's what we remember. When we keep our eyes on the prize, on the mission, on the goal at the end, what is our priority? What are we here for? Which is to seek and to save the lost. When we keep our eyes fixed upon the prize, the grumblings of the people in the crowd don't matter. And Jesus was able to silence the crowd by once again reminding them. And he says at the very end, hey, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that was lost. There was a prophetic word in this church a couple years ago that said we're called to be a no-judgment zone. And what happens when you're a no-judgment zone is that other people judge your church, right? You know? Like, well, that, you know what they do at that church? You know what they believe at that church? You know who they let come to that church? That's what happens. But we called to be a church that is like Jesus, we're in no judgment zone. We bring people and we invite them in and we say, come into relationship. Yes, come in fellowship with us. Who better to come to church than the lost? Have we missed it somewhere? And so we want our church to be full of people who don't know God. Because we say, no, we're not going to judge you. But once you come in and into relationship, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to work on you. And all of a sudden you begin to find, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't keep this. I got to give this away. I got to become a generous person. All these things begin to happen because we've invited him into relationship in the house. So I'm serious here to say today, listen, as a church, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know what being a no judgment zone looks like as a church. But I know this. We're going to follow the heart of God. We're going to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And we're going to welcome everyone with arms wide open. We're going to be a place where people come and they feel accepted. And they can embrace God. Where they can come and encounter the presence of the living God. Where people can know him and walk with him. And come into relationship. And you know what? And then the Holy Spirit can begin to clean them up. And we will disciple them and walk them through any situation, any mess, anything that's going on. But the truth is, is that we can't be people who try to clean up the lost before we have relationship with them. Jesus gave us a very clear example. What did he say? Now, first, he said this. He called them by name. He called them by name. He called them by their purpose. He called them by the unique design. And then the second thing was this. He, he looked at them with compassion. He looked at them with compassion, with eyes that that we can't even begin to comprehend. The third thing he did was he erased every single barrier. We have to break down the walls, church. We have to break down the things, the, 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 the system that we put up to, say, to keep people out. And we say, listen, there is no barrier between us. He accepts him into his family. He says, listen, you are a child of God. This is who you are. Welcome to the family. And he nullifies every accusation that is out there and says, listen, call me whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Call me names. But we're going to seek and save the lost. That's who we are. And we see that this is how Jesus cleaned people. It's how he cleaned the fish. It's how he cleaned Zacchaeus. And it's why we call Zacchaeus today Mr. Clean. Because Jesus did a number on him. And he didn't even realize it, but he loved him into the kingdom. You might be sitting here today, and there's two types of people. One is this, is that you recognize that this is challenging you. We need to step outside of our comfort zone and embrace the lost, embrace the outcast. Number two, you might be sitting here and saying, I recognize that I'm not clean, and there are things in my life that I need to be clean. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the answer. When we follow him, 
he gives us the perfect example. And when we come to him broken and ready to repent, he makes us clean.